We can turn back to the chapter we read there, Nehemiah chapter 6, and we can see what it tells us about serving God. As we know um, from previous um, chapters of this book, uh, Nehemiah at this particular time is engaged in building a wall, uh, a wall round the city. And we can see from this chapter, verse 15, that they have now reached the, the completion of it. It tells us there in verse 15 that they completed this project in 52 days. Which in many ways is a, quite a remarkable achievement to do that round, however big the city of Jerusalem was back then. But they hadn't had an easy time as they engaged in rebuilding the wall and we saw in previous chapters uh, some of the attempts that were made to hinder them. In chapter 3 we were given the names of all the individuals who contributed to the building of the wall and uh, if we had just been reading chapter 3 we might have imagined it was a very smooth process. But subsequent chapters indicate that there were attempts by various opponents uh, to hinder them. In chapter 4, they used the enemy as a weapon of derision, taunted them about what they were trying to do. And of course that was a very um, devious sort of method to use, because derision is always deflating. But anyway, that attempt didn't work. And then in chapter 5, they used the weapon of division, trying to divide them as they were engaged in building the wall. And here in chapter 6, a third kind of weapon has been used, and it's the weapon of deception. How to cause a trouble amongst those trying to build the wall. The, suppose one question that comes to mind is, how did Nehemiah continue? What made him persist? Well, we, we could answer that question with, at different levels. Uh, we could say, maybe he liked building. Who knows? Maybe he did. Or we could say, well, the emperor of Persia told him to do it. And of course, at a certain level, that would be true. Because in uh, chapter 2, we're given all the details of how uh, the emperor made arrangements for the wall to be rebuilt. But the main reason why uh, Nehemiah uh, was able to uh, persist in his um, task was because he believed in God. He had faith in God. His faith wasn't merely an opinion that he might have used now and again to have a discussion with, but his faith made him do something and to do what God had indicated about, about rebuilding the wall. And we saw in chapter 1 
how um, moved Nehemiah had been when he had heard of the mess that the city of Jerusalem was in. And it is interesting, isn't it, that the, the man on whom God placed a burden was a man of strong faith. And he, as we can see, his faith got him there in the end. What would have been the ingredients of his faith? Well, he'd have had a belief about God. What kind of God is he? Strong God, almighty God, a God who makes promises, a God who has indicated he'll help those who obey his commandments. He'd have had all these inner convictions. But I suppose we could say the proof of his faith would be what actions he would do. And he believed God was almighty, so he looked to God for help. And he believed God had a purpose for his people, even though at that time the state of Jerusalem was very poor. And therefore he just resolved to do his bit for the future. And of course, behind it all was his belief that one day the Messiah was coming. And that somehow or other, what he would do was connected to that. Although he himself would not be able to piece together all the various pieces. So his faith motivated him. And of course, when it comes to anything to do for God, it's got to be done by faith. There's no other way. And that goes for us as well as for Nehemiah. Can't do anything for God unless it's done by faith. And things that may be done alongside others, if it's not done by faith, it's not done for God. And that's a very challenging thing, isn't it? Nehemiah has obviously got lessons for leadership, because he was a leader. But it's also got lessons for every Christian. So I just want to think about this particular chapter here today, and just to look at several things. I've got six points. Um, they're kind of reflected in the title. Tried repeatedly. The enemies tried repeatedly. And Nehemiah was tried repeatedly. So both aspects of the meaning are there. But there's the timing of it. When did it happen? There's the tactics that they used, the opponents. Then there's the threat of a letter. And there's the treachery of a prophet. And then there's he's targeted by the nobles. And then there's some lessons to learn.
the timing of it. I suppose, uh, not that I know anything about it, but I suppose it's dangerous for an athlete if he's miles ahead of the rest of the people in the field. It's danger, a time of danger for him or her would be at the end of the race, towards the end. They're almost there. And everything seems about to come to a conclusion and they may slow down or start looking around. And that could be a time of danger, couldn't it? Because there might be somebody coming up behind them who's a very fast finisher and take away from them the glory that could have been theirs. As we've just said, there has been trouble building the wall. The opponents have done what they could to hinder them. But now, as we can see uh, from the verse 1, everything has been done on the wall apart from the gates. According to chapter 3, there were 10 gates in the city wall. So Nehemiah has only got to do these ten gates. And that's not going to take him very long, is it? And we might, could imagine him saying, well, that's the task done. All I've got to do is put the gates up. But that was the precise moment that the latest attack came, wasn't it? time when they weren't expecting it. The time when perhaps they thought they could slow down a bit. Only ten gates to go. But there the enemy came. Sanballat. He's the ruler of Samaria. Away to the north. Tobiah. He's the governor of the Ammonites, away to the east. Geshem, he's in charge of the Arabs, and there to the south. And the rest of their enemies. But they are the Astrodites, as we're told in previous chapters, to the west. So it's not just some of their enemies have approached at this final stage. It's actually all of them. And they've come from all directions. North, south, east and west. A concerted attempt, we might say. And Sanballat and Geshem's suggestion is to meet at Haki Firim in the plain of Ono. Well, I hadn't a clue where that was. So I looked up a book, and I suspect that's the same for most of us. But actually, it's a place halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria. And the request was to have a meeting. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah, and Geshem, and Nehemiah. 
are all in their position because of the emperor of Persia. Each of them have got their authority from the same man. Common sense might say, wouldn't it? Well, we're all leaders in the area. Why shouldn't we have a chat together? Maybe there's something in common that we can all talk about. But as we can see, that wasn't Nehemiah's response at all, was it? He regarded their suggestion as one to be refused. And we could ask ourselves, why did he refuse it? And I think there's four possibilities as to why he refused it. Uh, One is, and it's kind of mentioned there in the end of verse 2, the location was a place of danger. In Jerusalem, he was safe. And he was even safer now that the wall was getting near completion. But as he says there at the end of verse 2, they intended to do him harm. We could imagine a very suitable spot for an assassination or something like that. And Nehemiah just said, I'm not going into a place of danger that you're suggesting. That's an obvious um, reason. But there's a second reason. And that we could call, he didn't want to be distracted from his calling. What was his calling? His calling wasn't to build a wall. His calling was to finish the wall. And God didn't want him to start something else until he finished what he was currently doing. It is a common reason for failure, isn't it? To stop doing something before it's completed. And then it never gets completed. And one way to stop doing something being completed is to start something else. And Nehemiah just said to them, there, I cannot come down. I have to finish this task, and your suggestion is just a distraction. And I'm not going to pay any heed to it. Third um, reason that we can see for him refusing to go is that he didn't know what they were going to speak about. I mean, obviously, in their communication with them, they hadn't told him why he should. He just, why he should go and meet. They just sent an invitation. And I suppose one of the biggest. Um, Frustrations for a lot of people is to go to a meeting with an empty agenda. And here was Nehemiah, and they hadn't given him one reason for why he should go to the meeting. 
So he just said he wasn't going. And I suppose the fourth reason we can see is he had a very elevated view of the task he was currently engaged in. He says it there in verse 3. I am doing a great work. I wonder why he thought it was great. It wasn't great just because he was involved in it. Nor was it great merely because the emperor of Persia had said to do it. It was great because it was God's work. And if God wanted him to build a wall, that made it a great work. One that was not to be hindered by that suggestion from these particular individuals. So we can say that um, Nehemiah was alert to the end. The timing came at a very dangerous time for him and the wall and he refused to listen to it and continued building it so that's the timing but then there's the tactics there in verse 4 what were the opponents going to do about this refusal from Nehemiah And uh, we see that they tried four more times. I suppose they they had to try four times because there wasn't much time left. I don't know how long it would take to build ten gates. But um, anyway, they had enough time to send four more um, offers of this particular Meeting, but we're told about that there in verse 4 that um, Nehemiah answered them the same time, but sorry, in the same way each time. I wonder what word we would use for that. I think the word is inflexible. Inflexible is not always a good word in today's world. And surely we're to be accommodating. What harm is there in a conversation? Well, we've seen the, why Nehemiah thought this one was harmful. Andrew Boner had a very interesting nickname. He comes down to us as a very gentle, spiritual man. A man who had a lot of influences, a lot of influence, sorry, over other people. Do you know what his nickname was? And he was given it when he was very young. His nickname was Old Obstinate. Quite a striking name, isn't it? Old, 
obstinate. Of course, we can use other phrases to make the meaning a bit more, um, I don't know, just make it easier to grasp. And we could have things like consistent over the years or reliable in his commitment or loyal to God day after day. However we wish to use it, it's still the same idea of being inflexible, isn't it? Of being perceived as a bit obstinate. And Andrew Boner was old obstinate for over 60 years. It didn't hinder him building a, planting a church in Glasgow that grew to over a thousand members. There's a Puritan called Richard Rogers. One day he was having a conversation with a local landowner. And the local landowner said to Rogers, Why are you so precise? He was precise in everything. He said, and why are you so precise? And Rogers replied, I serve a precise God. How precise is God? Well, the book of Proverbs tells us, doesn't it? Don't turn to the right and don't turn to the left. Just keep going in a straight way. Sometimes we have to be inflexible, don't we? We have to be inflexible about salvation. But there is sometimes a danger that we are only inflexible on the majors. Nehemiah, well, he wasn't going to go in this, for this conversation. He just wasn't going to go. What benefit would have come to him from that outlook? Well, I suppose strength of character. What would have happened if he had gone at the fourth attempt? Just wear him down. But he had strength of character, didn't he? It's also a good example to the workers on the wall. I mean, if Nehemiah had gone for this conversation, he wouldn't have had a car to nip down a couple of hours and back the same day 
for him to go and take part in this, it'll take three or four days. And after all, then the workers could say, if the leader heads off like that, why can't we? Strength of character, good example to others, and of course, his presence would be an encouragement. Here's Nehemiah with us right to the end. So that was their tactics. And Nehemiah just refuted them. A thing didn't become more acceptable the more often it was offered. He just said no, 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 no. Maybe Andrew Boner liked the book of Nehemiah. And maybe Richard Rogers read it as well. But they didn't stop there, the opponents. I mean, they were determined. This wall could not be finished. So we need to now get the threat of a letter. And the San Ballot, there in, in verse 5, he sends one of his servants down to see Nehemiah with an open letter in his hand. <clears throat> and in his letter there was three allegations. In other words, he's reporting to Nehemiah what the local gossip is. And what they're saying about him, as he says, it's reported among the nations, that's the various groups around Jerusalem, and Geshem, he's the most powerful of them. Geshem also says that the reason why you're building this wall is you intend to rebel. And also, on top of that, Nehemiah, according to verse 6, you want to be a king. And even more than that, in verse 7, you have set up a group of prophets and they just go around saying there is a king in Judah. That's what Sanballat said people were saying about Nehemiah and his wall. And he sent an open letter. And the word open is the important word. In those days, if you sent a letter, you normally sealed it. The last thing you do is send an open one. Because the obvious problem with an open letter is that anybody could read it. And Sanballat, I suspect, said to his servant, just show the letter to anybody you want. And of course, they added to the letter the threat, if the emperor hears of this, you've had it. How did Nehemiah respond to that? 
I mean, imagine getting a letter from your three neighboring fellow governors saying that you are going to cause trouble and you are going to be trying to take over the whole area and we are going to send this letter to the emperor. How did Nehemiah respond to that? Well, he just said, what you're saying there is a load of nonsense. It's not true. It says that there in verse 8. No such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. So that's Nehemiah knew it was all lies that they were saying. And therefore he didn't pay any heed to it. He realized that they were wanting to make him and the fellow Jews afraid. But he didn't just leave it there. They sent this letter to weaken him. So he prayed to God there at the end of verse 9. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. He just did what any person facing these kind of things would do. And that is, he told God about it. And therefore, that particular threat didn't seem to work either. But having done that, as we can see, they tried again. They're really desperate to get this wall or to prevent this wall from being built. And as we get at verse 10, it's getting really very sad. Because in verse 10 down to verse 14, we have the treachery of the prophet. Shemaiah, he's a man who makes prophecies, as we can see from verse 12. And if all his previous prophecies were like the one he made there in verse 10, then he's a false prophet. But as far as Nehemiah is concerned at that moment, he still regards Shemaiah as a prophet. Because prophets, of course, didn't just announce future events. Prophets were meant to teach the people what the word of God said. And up until this time, Shemaiah perhaps had not given any hint that he was an opponent of Nehemiah. But anyway, this message comes to Nehemiah to come and meet Shemaiah, who for some reason is confined to his home. And when he goes to see Shemaiah, Shemaiah says to him, they're coming to kill you. We should just go and hide in the temple. I wonder how we would have reacted if someone had said that to us. Would the temple be a good place to hide? Shemaiah, he's meant to teach what God says. 
who did God say could go into the temple? He's not talking about the outer courts of the temple. He's talking about inside the temple. Who did God say could go inside the temple? Only the priests. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. So here was Shemaiah, who, who is meant to teach God's word. He's actually telling Nehemiah to do something against God's word. Nehemiah, who knew what God's word said, immediately recognized that Shemaiah was a false prophet. Instead of telling him to do something that would please God, he was actually telling him to do something that would displease God. And it didn't take Nehemiah more than two seconds to work out that going to see this particular prophet, he was actually going to meet somebody that was actually working on behalf of Tobiah and Sanballat as is indicated in verse 12. So the religious establishment there in Jerusalem are all against Nehemiah. And he says that at the end of verse 14, including the prophetess, Nodiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. How is he going to react to this? It's not just the political leaders are against him. The religious ones as well are there. And Nehemiah, well, he recognized, as I mentioned a minute ago, the wrong teaching of Shemaiah. But even though the number of the opponents are increasing, He just says, Nehemiah says, and there in verse 11, should such a man as I run away? He's going nowhere. The religious ones can join with the political ones, but he's going to finish the wall. That's still not the end. Along come the nobles who target him. And they do it after the wall is finished. After verse 15, the non Jews, when they heard the wall was finished, were told in verse 16 that they were greatly afraid, fearful, and they were demoralized. The wall has been rebuilt. The the non-Jews saw that. But the Jews, or some of them, the nobles of Judah, and remember in chapter 3, the nobles of Tekoa, they refused to get involved in the building of the work. But here in verse 17, the nobles of Judah... They start sending letters. 
and they're sending them to Tobiah, the man who's in charge of the Ammonites. And of course, Tobiah, as his name indicates, is a Jew. He's a Jew in charge of the Ammonites. And we're told about these nobles in verse 18 that they were bound by oath to him. That probably means they were just involved in financial projects together. After all, if Tobiah is in charge of an area, he'll have plenty of work to give to them. And at the same time, we find that Tobiah, he's got family in the area, and even one of them, Meshulam, he's actually working on a wall. So there's the fear of losing out financially if Nehemiah persists, and there's also these ties that are brought into existence by marriage. And they're working against Nehemiah. And although the wall has been finished, there's still trouble ahead for Nehemiah from these people. They're still targeting him. Tobiah, as we can see from the end of verse 19, because he's been informed of everything that Nehemiah says, everything that Nehemiah plans has been sent on to Tobiah by his relatives in Jerusalem. And Tobiah is making threats. And we'll see about that later on. But just a couple of lessons from this. One is opposition continues. It's never going to end. We have to realize that, don't we? We're involved in a spiritual battle. And it's never going to end. It won't end until Jesus returns. So until then, we should expect the enemy to be doing something. It will just keep on happening. Another lesson that comes from this, as kind of indicated, at the closing time of a particular project, might be the most dangerous time. Because it certainly was for Nehemiah, wasn't it? It's almost done. And they all come united to try to hinder him. The third lesson that we can take from this is that we should serve whatever the personal cost or whoever is against it. What a range of powerful people are lined up against Nehemiah. But if you put them in a balance against God, then what were they? Another lesson is do what God wants us to do all the time. That is one way in which we should be inflexible. Do what God wants us to do all the time. 
We have no authority to remove any of God's instruction. Do what God wants all the time. The first lesson is do what Nehemiah did all the time. And virtually every chapter in his book tells us this. He prayed about everything. Just brought it to God. And the final lesson is, in a strange way, whether you realized it or not, Nehemiah experienced something similar to the suffering of Jesus. What did Jesus suffer? He suffered the hindrance of rulers who tried to prevent him finishing his task. And here's Nehemiah, way back then, hundreds of years before Jesus comes. But in some way, he's entering into the sufferings of Christ. And of course, Paul says to us, doesn't he, that we're to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Nehemiah did, in his own way, and we do as well in our way. Because even as Paul discovered on Damascus Road, and Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? What he was doing to these Christians that he was harassing, he was doing it against Christ. They were suffering in some way, and Christ was suffering with them in it. And Paul later on says, that he wanted to complete the sufferings of Christ. Not as atoning sufferings, but just something of the opposition that he had experienced. And it's good for us to know, isn't it, that even in the little battles that we fight, and as Nehemiah experienced in his battle, in some way, we're sharing with Christ. And it's good to know that. Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that Nehemiah endured. He endured as seeing him who is invisible, even as Moses did, and even as we are called to do. Lord, help us to be in our own level, what Nehemiah was at his level, faithful to his God. Lord, we need your help for that. Nehemiah needed your help, and he was given it. We need to show our solidarity with God, and we might be called to do it every day of our lives. Help us, Lord. Whenever the enemy comes with whatever his tactics are, that we would be able to see them and able to have refused them. Lord, show us. Show us how to live day by day. So be with us, Lord, we pray, and remember us for good. For Christ's sake, amen.